You guessed it. Verses 1 through 3. We started Hebrews about three weeks ago. I had told you guys that we were going to be in the book of Hebrews for approximately 30 weeks. Well, that was a lie, an unintentional lie. So just throw that out the window. We will be in Hebrews till we get through. We were supposed to be through with the first three verses after week one. And the more I read them and thought about them, the more I thought there is some good stuff here in Hebrews chapter one, verses one through three. And so I said, well, we'll do two. We'll do a two-parter. We'll do an introduction part one and part two. If you haven't been here the last two weeks, you're just going to be lost because you missed both the introductions. But, but it's okay. You will catch on quick. And, and then after I thought we would move on from the first three verses, uh, we still are not moving on from the first three verses. And as you may have noticed on the screen, we're going to be in verse 3a today. So we're probably going to be in verse 3 for a little while. Somebody told me this week when they saw last week in the bulletins that I only was preaching on three verses that that would be about a 10-minute sermon. I don't know if that was just wishful thinking or not, but, but uh, it was not a 10-minute sermon. It's, it's probably going to stretch over a few weeks, but that's okay. Uh, we're going to take our time as we go through God's Word because we need a good foundation, I believe, to understand the book of Hebrews. Now, maybe some of the things that we're, that we're really focusing on here at the beginning of the book of Hebrews, they may be things you know, they may be things you have thought about in great detail, or maybe you haven't thought about them in great detail. But we need to. That is the importance of studying God's Word, that we know God's Word, that when we read over things, that we understand the, the, the depth that's in so many of these verses that we may quickly pass over. A good example of that occurred in Sunday school this morning. We talked about uh, when Jesus was flogged before uh, he was crucified on the cross. And as Ernest pointed out, that's only one short little little passage that, that, that Pilate had Jesus flogged. But, but to understand what that meant, you really get a, get a better understanding when you realize this little short verse says a lot. And so it is with much of what we read in the Bible. We read through a verse here and a verse there. And there may be much more for us to consider in some of these verses. And so we're going to do that here at the beginning of the book of Hebrews because what is foundational for the writer of the book of Hebrews, for his audience to understand, is who Jesus is. And the reason for that is because whoever he is writing to here they are being tempted to turn away from Jesus. And so we need to be on guard too. We need to make sure that Jesus is our foundation. We need to know what the importance of these things are so that we will stand firm on Jesus and we will not be tempted to turn away from him. Now, now the first two weeks kind of served as a bit of an introduction. We talked about some of the historical background just very briefly. But in the first week, we really looked at, at one key thing, and that is Jesus is better than the prophets, okay? Jesus is better than the prophets who God used in the Old Testament. We talked about that. Uh, last week, we looked at verse 2. Jesus is the Son of God. What is the significance of that? What does that mean that Jesus is the Son of God? And today, we are going to focus primarily on verse 3, but just the first part of verse 3. We will read um, the first three verses, but we're only going to look at one little part of that. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, is where we will start. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, 
God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you and I pray, God, that your word is good to us today. God, as we look at Hebrews, as we look at many other passages today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, dear Lord. That if there are some in this room that have never thought about your glory, that have never experienced your glory, that don't, that don't know the goodness of your glory, God, that today we would know that, dear Lord. I pray that you would hide me behind the cross. I pray that you take away my pride. I pray that you take away my fear. God, I pray that everything that is done here today is for your kingdom, dear Lord. We want to grow in you. We want to grow your kingdom. We want to be obedient to you. God, let us be those who stand on Jesus Christ. Let us not be tempted to turn away. And God, should any be tempted today to turn from you, God, let us hear these words all the more that we would not turn from the only Savior that there is, dear Lord, but that we would see you in all your glory through Jesus Christ. So I ask these things, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> the sun is the radiance of God's glory. Now, we talked last week about Jesus being the Son of God. And then the writer of Hebrews says he's the radiance of God's glory. But what is God's glory. Now, if you look in your Bible at glory, you will find that word a lot. Now, I didn't count. I didn't look up how many times, but I feel safe in saying that you would find it hundreds of times throughout the Scripture when it speaks of the glory of God. And it speaks of the glory of God in a variety of ways. And in some ways, the glory of God is quite easy to define. And in other ways, it's quite difficult to explain. Uh, we see several examples. I'll read through some of these just to give you an idea of how the glory of God is used in the Bible. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, And one called to another. Now in the context there, Isaiah is seeing these heavenly beings around the throne. Uh, uh, and, and, and it says, And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. Okay, so God's glory fills the whole earth. Now, in which way does that take place? Is it, is it just his presence and the goodness of his presence that fills the whole earth? Perhaps that's part of God's glory. Perhaps when we think of God's glory, it's not just what is invisible of God that we don't see, but, but what we do see, right? God's glory fills the whole earth, that God made creation, that God made the beauty of the trees and the skies and the seas and all of the things we see. Perhaps those things, too, represent the goodness of God's glory. All of the earth shows us the glory of God. It is filled with God's glory. Psalm 19, 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the works of his hands, right? We see heavens in scripture. Uh, sometimes it's speaking of the abode of God, where God is, but sometimes we see heaven as a reference to, to the skies, to the what we would possibly call outer space. And so even these things, the heaven where God abodes, the heavens that we can see that are above us, it says even the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaim the works of his hand, right? Have you ever gone outside on a clear night and you look up into the sky and what do you see? 
I mean, you see, you see stars by the millions. You see some that, that may be super, super far away that it that has taken years and years and years and years for the light to get here. And we open our eyes and we look into the sky and we see just the vastness of the power of God and the majesty of God and, and just the beauty of everything that God has made. And and this is described for us here in Psalm 19.1 as the glory of God, that these things declare the glory of God. They proclaim for us the glory of God. Exodus chapter 40 verses 34 and 35. The clouds covered the tent of meeting. Now, after Moses led God's people out of Egypt and and before they got into the promised land, they had to build a tabernacle and there were all these things that God told them to do these things a certain way. And sometimes God would, would come down on them in this form of a cloud on this tabernacle or on this tent of meeting. In Exodus 40, 34 and 35, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was unable to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud rested on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So here we can see the glory of the Lord in this in this tangible physical way. This this cloud descended on this tabernacle and as the cloud descended and the glory of the Lord was there on the tabernacle, Moses could not enter the tabernacle. So here we see not only the things that we see proclaim the glory of the Lord, but but especially in the Old Testament in some of these really intense ways God reveals his glory and in this case through a cloud that we see occasionally mentioned in the Old Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. Right? That's the command that Paul gives us. Whatever we do, we do it for the glory of God so that, so that God is lifted up, so that God is seen, so that people see the beauty of God, so that they see the power of God, so that they see the majesty of God. Are the things that we're doing, are they for God's glory? Are they to glorify God? Or are they for our glory? So, so God's glory is just not something that, that we see, that we experience, that we soak in, but it's something that we live out in our life so that God is praised. Right? That's that's a part of God's glory. When we give glory to God, we are praising God. So there's a lot of aspects in which we see God's glory uh, shown to us throughout the Scripture. Exodus chapter 24, verse 17. The appearance of the Lord's glory to the Israelites was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. Now, after God had taken them out, they were eventually going to get the Ten Commandments, and Moses was going to go up on this mountain a few times back and forth, and, and there was God on the mountain with them. And how is this described to us in Exodus 24? That the Lord's glory was like a consuming fire, right? This is a powerful thing. This is, this is the kind of language that we see sometimes to describe God's glory. And then one more verse from John chapter 11 verse 40. Jesus said to her, that is Martha, when Jesus went back after Lazarus had died, Martha had come to him and was talking to him, and Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Now, they were saying, oh, Jesus, you didn't get here in time. Lazarus died. What are we going to do? And Jesus is telling them to roll a stone away. And he says, look, I already told you, and he did tell her a few verses before this in John 11, that look, if you believe, even those who die will live, Jesus said. And now here he tells her again, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Now, 
Perhaps the glory of God here is just simply uh, the, the overwhelming power of God. That God is going to reveal His power in a mighty way. That is certainly part of God's glory as we see throughout the Scripture. But perhaps the glory of God here is that He's going to raise someone from the dead. What greater thing could God do than for there to be resurrection from death to life? As Jesus had said, even those who die will live. This is the glory of God. If you believe, Jesus said, you will see the glory of God. So perhaps seeing the glory of God is not just seeing the power and the majesty and the beauty of God and praising God, but, but the very glory of God is that God can raise people from the dead. So we see a variety of, 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 of the use of God's glory throughout His Word. So if we, had to, if we had to define God's glory, and you'll find lots of definitions out there, and I don't know that any of them are really good, because quite frankly, it's a hard thing to define. But if I were going to define it, I would say the glory of God is the power of God, the beauty of God, the majesty of God, all to the praise of God. Those are just some of the words that we could use to define God's glory. But even though we may can in some way define it, it's really indescribable in its fullness because the things that we see of God, a cloud of smoke or a consuming fire or the stars in the sky, as magnificent as those things may be, as amazing as those things may be, the fullness of God's glory is indescribable. It's inconceivable and therefore it is indescribable. But, but Ezekiel makes an effort of it in Ezekiel chapter 1 verses 27 and 28. Uh, here he was sitting around the throne of God. He sees these, these heavenly beings there. And, and he sees the glory of God. And listen to the language that he uses to describe the glory of God. From what seemed to be his waist up, I saw a gleam like amber with what looked like fire enclosing it all around. From what seemed to be his waist down, I also saw what looked like fire. There was a brilliant light all around him. The appearance of the brilliant light all around was like that of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day. This was the appearance of the form of the Lord's glory. Now, those are kind of, I mean, he's using the best language he can, right? I mean, if we were able to see the glory of God, how would we describe it? Well, it would be a really difficult thing to describe. So it's like amber, it's like a rainbow, it's like a fire, it's like, I mean... You, you put all those things together, and that really doesn't help either because you imagine what those things would look like meshed together, and it's like, what does that even mean, right? The glory of God is so great that it is indescribable for us. It's, we cannot even conceive of God in all of his glory. But there's one thing that we do see when, when people see God's glory, at least in a way that Ezekiel did. What does it say at the end of verse 28 there? He says, and when I saw it, that is the glory of God, when I saw it, I fell face down and heard a voice speaking. So what did he do? He fell face down. When Ezekiel recognized and was before the glory of God, he described it as best he could, but the description is not what's important there. It's that in the presence of the glory of God, he fell before him, right? And we see this similar language uh, uh, well, maybe not similar language, but we see this similar idea of fear when God is, is present in all of his glory, even back there with Moses and the Israelites on the mountain. 
We see that in Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 and 19. All the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain surrounded by smoke, right? So God is here on the mountain, and even though the word glory is not used in this passage, this is what it's like when God's around. When God is there in all of his glory, this is what the presence of the Lord is like. Listen at this language here. They saw uh, her thunder. They saw lightning, the sound of trumpet, the, the, the mountain surrounded by smoke. Could you imagine seeing? that, right? We probably read through that passage and say, oh yeah, I've read this passage before. Oh yeah, they saw a mountain and it was smoking and there was thunder and there was fire. No, this would have been a, this would have been something that you would have been like, whoa, what in the world is going on? I mean, could you imagine the Lord speaking to you? Could you imagine the Lord coming before you in a cloud? The presence of the Lord when he comes on to the scene. Could you imagine what that would have been like? That would have been a scary thing for us, I suspect. And it was a scary thing for those at the mountain that day. It says at the end of verse 18, when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. That's pretty good thinking, right? You see the Lord coming in all of his glory. What are you going to do, right? I mean, that's going to be something that we think, I'm going to run before the Lord. But, but maybe part of all of the Lord's glory is his purity. And maybe when we see God in all of his purity and we recognize who he is, maybe, maybe part of that shows us who we are. And we recognize, hold up. Here's God who is full of glory, and here I am who is a sinner. And God is pretty powerful, and look how God is, is displaying himself to us and, and what we can understand, and this is, this is intense. And then it says in verse 19, You speak to us, and we will listen, they said to Moses, but don't let God speak to us or we will die. So what did they do when they saw God in all of his glory? They told Moses, no way are we going near this guy. Moses, you go do all the talking. We're not going to go stand before the Lord. And that's something to think about because one day we will all stand before the Lord in all of his glory. Wow. Who's going to be the spokesman for us when that day comes? For the Israelites, they said, Moses, you go. But for us, the only one who can speak for us is Jesus Christ and Christ crucified when we stand before God in all of his glory. And when we see God in all of his glory, for some it will be the most beautiful thing. Well, for all it will be the most beautiful thing that they have ever seen. But for some, they won't enjoy the beauty because they have not put their faith in Jesus Christ. But those who have will see God's glory in its fullness. And what a day that will be. And so while we're here at the mountain and while God is there, this is a good place for us to be if we're going to try to understand the radiance of God's glory. Now, if you want to turn to Exodus chapter 33, we'll, we'll be there for just a second, and we'll be in Exodus 34 for just a second. But if you want to turn there, this is all happening about the same time frame. Moses around the mountain with the Israelites. The Ten Commandments is all going on around this, around this same time. Moses up and down the mountain. You know, all of these things, the thunder and the lightning and the smoke. I mean, this, is, this would have been a really, really uh, crazy time, right, to, to have been a part of. And so Moses would go up on the mountain and he would, he would talk to God. And God would talk to him. And how phenomenal would that be? I mean, could you imagine? The voice of God speaking to you as Moses uh, was able to interact with God during this time. But in Exodus chapter 33, verse 18, Then Moses said to God here, Please let me see your glory. Now, that's what 
really we all desire, I hope that we all desire, right, to see God in his fullness, to see God in his glory. And that's what Moses said. He had, he had been around God, and here he says, God, I want to see your glory. And listen to what it says in verse 19. It's the Lord speaking here. He said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you. Isn't that an interesting thing that God says there? God, uh, Moses says, I want to see your glory. And God says, I'll let my goodness pass in front of you. And I will proclaim the name of Yahweh before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he answered, you cannot see my face. No one can see me and live. So Moses says, I want to see your glory, and God says, you can't see my face. That is, what he's saying there, I think, is look, when you see my face, you will have seen me in all of my glory, and no one can see me and live. Now, I, it, it, can't mean, uh, it can't mean that they can't talk to each other in some form, because, because a few verses before, we saw that it says that God spoke to Moses face to face. But wait a minute, now God's saying right here, you can't see me face to face. But I think what God is saying, no, you can see me in some form that I can reveal myself to you and communicate myself to you, but I am limiting how much of me you can see. Because if you saw my real face, if you saw the fullness of my glory, you would not be able to stand in my presence. And so these ways that God revealed himself in the Old Testament were, were, were limited in some way, right? He didn't show the people all of his glory, the fullness of his glory. And that's what he said to Moses here. You can't see my face and live. You want to see my glory, but you can't see my face and live. Verse 21. The Lord said, Here is a place near me. You, you are to stand on the rock, and when my glory passes by, I will put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you will see my back, but my face will not be seen. So God says, okay, you want to see my glory? I can only give you a glimpse of my glory. You can't see my face, but I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock, in the crevice of this rock, and when I pass by, you can look and you can see just my back. That's all you can handle, right? Just a small portion of the back of God's glory is all that Moses would be able to see. And what a magnificent sight that must have been. You say, man, back of God, how good could that look? It looks good when the glory of God passes by and you just catch a glimpse of the glory of God. What a magnificent thing that must have been for Moses. We see a similar type of thing maybe in the New Testament. Here these people were coming to Jesus, and if they could just touch the hem of his robe, just barely touching a thread of what Jesus was wearing, they would be healed, the fullness of the glory of God. And here, here Moses, just, just a glimpse, just a glimpse of the glory of God is, is more beautiful than anything we could possibly even imagine. And so Moses would do this, right? He would talk to God. He asked to see the glory of God. And he got to see just a little smidgen of the glory of God. But how did this affect Moses? What was this like for Moses? Well, we see that as we turn to Exodus chapter 34. Now Moses was up there uh, talking to God in, in whatever way that they, that they communicated. And we see in Exodus 34 verse 29... As Moses descended from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, as he descended the mountain, 
He did not realize that the skin of his face shone as a result of his speaking with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face shone. They were afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near, and he commanded them to do everything the Lord had told him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. After he came out, he would tell the Israelites what he had been commanded. And the Israelites would see that Moses' face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went to speak with the Lord. Now imagine this. Here the Lord is speaking, or excuse me, uh, Moses speaking with the Lord on the mountain. And this had a a physical effect on Moses. That that when Moses came down the mountain, that his face was radiant. It was glowing. Now I don't know what that would look like. I don't even know how that would be possible. But that that is the glory of God. To be in the presence of the glory of God in the way that Moses was, it had an effect on him that his face was glowing. Can you imagine being part of that crowd? Here comes Moses down the mountain holding the stone tablets, and this dude's face is glowing, and this would have been a phenomenal thing. They, they certainly probably would have been listening. They already feared the Lord. They said, hey, wait a minute. Here's God up on this mountain. You go talk to him, Moses. Whatever he tells you will do. Now, fear is a powerful motivator. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And these people had that fear and that wisdom here. It's a shame that they so quickly forget. But here, God would go speak, or God would speak with Moses as Moses went up the mountain, and, and Moses' face would glow as he come down. But, but he, would, he would let the people see his face, but after he would speak to the people, he would put a veil over his face because the glory would begin to, would begin to dim. It would begin to fade away over time. And so that the people would not see the glory of God fading, he would cover his face until he went before the Lord again and he would come and he would speak to the people and they would see his face. And so here we see the glory of God and the impact and the effect that it had on Moses to be in the presence of God. Now, why does any of this have any relevance on what we are talking about today? Well, it has every relevance on what we are talking about today in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. The New Testament makes that connection for us clearly. If you want to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul makes this connection for us. He references this event. He references about Moses being in the glory of God and the radiance of Moses' face and what that means for us now that Jesus has come on to the scene. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. Now, if the ministry of death, chiseled in letters on stone, came with glory. Now, what is he talking about here? He's talking about, he's talking about the law, right? That's what he's talking about here. And how does Paul refer to it? He calls the law the ministry of death. Holy smokes, right? Now, you've got all these people that were around in Jesus' day, and they were all about the law. They were all about the law. And here we have in the book of Hebrews these people who are being tempted to go back to the law, to go back to the old sacrificial system. What was it a law of? Well, Paul says it is a ministry of death chiseled in stone. 
And what did it come with? It came with glory. Even the ministry of death chiseled in stone. Even the law of God on the stone tablets that Moses carried down the mountain, even that showed the glory of God. But only just a portion of the glory of God. Let's continue on in verse 7. So that the Israelites were not able to uh, look directly at Moses' face because of the glory from his face. A fading glory, right? So he's talking about the law. He's talking about Moses. And that's what the people who always came about Jesus wanted to talk about. They wanted to talk about the law. They wanted to talk about Moses. But what is the language that Paul uses here? And we will also see eventually at some point in the book of Hebrews. It's, it's something that is fading away. That is the old is fading away. The glory of God in the days of Moses was something that was, that was fading away in that time after Moses would leave from speaking to God. Verse 8. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? Now, if the ministry of death chiseled out on some stone tablets, how will, the, how will the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God not be more glorious than, than, than that old that had a little bit of glory? How much more so is the glory of God through Jesus Christ? Verse 9, For if the ministry of condemnation, that's an interesting way to refer to the law again, for if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness overflows with even more glory, right? When we see God in the Old Testament, we see the glory of God, a consuming fire, thunder and lightning and smoke and a cloud and all of these things. We see God part the Red Sea. We see that God spoke all things into existence. This is the glory of God in such powerful ways that that is displayed for us. And how much more so, Paul says, is the glory of God for us through the Holy Spirit that comes through Jesus Christ. There is a better glory that was coming from what we saw in the Old Testament. Verse 10. In fact, what had been glorious is not glorious now by comparison because of the glory that surpasses it. Right? Something new has come. There is a new covenant that has come. There is something better that has come in Jesus Christ. And what does it do? The new surpasses the old. The old is, is useless now. And that's what Paul is saying as he speaks about the glory of the Lord that comes through Jesus Christ. Verse 11, For if what was fading away was glorious... What endures will be even more glorious. So God established this Old Testament system, this old way, the law and the prophets, who Jesus was better than, the law and the prophets. But that was a system that was fading away. But this system now is not fading away. What is the system that God has established now? It is Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. And so the old has passed away, but the new is shining bright. It is un fading. Verse 12, therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness. We are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face, so that the Israelites could not stare at the end of what was fading away. So in Moses' day, the glory of God is magnificent it was. It paled in comparison to God's glory in the way that he was going to reveal it in the future. In the way that God revealed his glory through Moses, Moses' face was radiant. 
that the people could see, but it was a glory that was fading away. It was a glory that, that, that at least in the way that God was going to do things, was insufficient. Not that his glory was insufficient, but, but the means by which he was establishing his glory and revealing his glory at that time were limited. They were not showing the fullness of God's glory. And he says, we are not like Moses, right? Don't look back to the law. Don't look back to the prophets. Don't try to be legalistic. Don't try to fall into the trap of religion. Don't go back to your old way of life. That's what the author of Hebrews says because if you go back to anything else, it is something that is fading away. There are many things in our life that shine bright and we think they are good, but they always fade away. But there is one that will never fade away and that is the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is the radiance of of God's glory. And that's why it's important for us to understand this story about Moses and understand what Paul tells us as he reveals the glory of God to us in his fullness. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. What is God's glory in its fullness? It is Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, it was in a cloud, it was fire, it was smoke. But today, if you want to see the glory of God, you look to the Son of God. That is the glory of God, a glory that is not fading, a glory that we don't have to turn away from. But when we see Jesus and who he was and what he has done, he is God's glory. John chapter 1, verse 14, the Word, that is Jesus, became flesh and took up residence among us, that is, dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so when Jesus Christ came onto the scene, when the Word became flesh, the very glory of God in its fullness walked in this earth in a way that people could see, in a way that people could interact with, in a way that people could hear the voice of God speak to them through Jesus Christ. And when we have seen Jesus, we have seen the glory of God. But the question that you must answer today is, have you seen Jesus? Maybe you've read the word glory a million times in your Bible throughout the years, but have you seen God's glory? Maybe you've seen the smoking mountain and the fire and the description that Ezekiel gives, but have you seen God's glory? If you have not seen Jesus Christ, you have not fully experienced God's glory. Praise the Lord. We can look into the sky. We can see the stars. We can see creation. We can see beauty. We can see love. We can see the power of God. We can see the majesty of God. We can praise God. But if we have not seen Jesus Christ, are we really seeing any of those things? Are we really doing any of those things? Because the fullness of God's glory rests in Jesus Christ. So what is the glory of God? This is the glory of God, that God is the creator of all things, that he parted the Red Sea, that he caused the sun to stand still, that he is faithful to a thousand generations, that he took on flesh and dwelt among men, that he overcame sin and temptation, that he came quietly with no shouting in the street, that people would listen to his words, that he healed the sick and caused the blind to see, that those who came against him were left speechless, that he was beaten and mocked for us, that he was hung on a cross. 
and that with all power he exhibited full restraint on the cross so that the sins of the world would be forgiven. This is the glory of God. Let heaven and earth proclaim the glory of God as we see so often in the Scripture. Let those of us who sit in this room today proclaim the glory of God. But where is your glory at today? You see, there's danger for us, just as there was danger for the audience that the book of Hebrews was being written to. The danger for them is that they had seen the glory of God. They had tasted the glory of God. They had experienced the glory of God. They were following Jesus Christ. And now, under intense persecution, under the difficulties of life, they were wanting to turn from the glory of God. But turn to what? What is your glory today? Perhaps, perhaps we are trying to find glory in ourselves. Perhaps we are trying to be glorified by our works. There is no glory there because there is only glory in the Son of God. A couple of more verses before we close. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. For our momentary affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. Right? This, this type of language would have definitely been what the Hebrews needed to hear and probably some of us today, right? Because we go through these, uh, these momentary afflictions. But what does he say? He says our momentary affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight and glory, right? So don't give up. In the midst of your affliction today, if you say, where is God out? Uh, things are getting really difficult. They were for this Hebrew audience. That's why they were tempted. Perhaps sometimes we are tempted. We are angry with God because he's not acting in the way that we should because he's allowing something that we consider to be evil to occur. And it very well may be evil, but God is a master of taking what is evil and using it for the good of his kingdom. So don't give up in your momentary light afflictions. Now, they may not seem like light afflictions today, but when we are with God in all of his glory, we will realize that the things of this world were of nothing. So let us not be overshadowed by the likeness of our momentary afflictions. They only last but a lifetime. And you say, well, that's a long time, 80, 90, 100 years. It is a long time, but it's a small time compared to eternity of being in God's glory. Romans chapter 8 uses the same type of language. Verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Okay, life is tough. Life may be difficult to you. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't turn from Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Son is the radiance of God's glory. May we all find God's glory in this room today. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for your good word. We thank you for your good son and we thank you for your glory. God, your power, your majesty, your beauty. God, let us give you glory. Let us give you praise because God, you are deserving of it. God, when we see your glory through Jesus Christ, when we see your glory in the words of Scripture, God, let us be as Ezekiel and let us fall down before you in the midst of your glory. God, let us be as the Israelites at the mountain and when we see your power, dear Lord, we respect you. We are in awe of you. But God, unlike those Israelites, we don't have to be afraid to go before you. 
through Jesus Christ, dear Lord, you have revealed your glory to us in its fullness. So God, I pray that if there are some in this room that do not know Jesus Christ, that today that they would, that today that they would come to you and for forgiveness, dear Lord, that, that as they see your glory, they see your goodness, they see your purity, dear Lord. And, and as a result, God, we see that we are wretched sinners in need of a Savior. But God, let us know today that that Savior is Jesus Christ. God, maybe some in this moment, in their heart, they are repenting. I pray that they are, dear Lord that they're turning from their old ways, that they're turning from their sinful ways. Maybe it's, maybe it's even a, a hip, hypocritical religion. Whatever it may be, dear Lord, let us turn from whatever in the world is keeping us from you so that we may turn to Jesus Christ. God, maybe there are some in this room today, and maybe their walk is strong with you, praise the Lord. Maybe there are some in this room today, and they are struggling. God, maybe today they needed to be reminded of your glory and the goodness of your Son. And I pray, God, that you would strengthen and encourage them through that. God, maybe there are some in this room today that question you, that question your word, that question the things in this world, dear Lord. Maybe, they, maybe they've heard your word and they've been following you, but maybe today they are tempted, dear Lord, to turn away. But God, I pray today that they would not turn away, but that they would see the radiance of your glory, dear Lord through your Son, Jesus Christ. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.